welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. When it's all about me. We will vote for the person who says it's all about me. And we will end up in a mess because life is not all about me and neither should government be about me. It should be about us. And Jeremiah has something to say to these people and he uses this word and I think it's a beautiful word. It's not a word that we often think of today in terms of parents or friends or even politicians. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet had appealed to the leaders of Jerusalem for decades to turn to God, but they despised him and treated him cruelly. Leaders, whether parents, priests or princes, have a great responsibility in shepherding those in their care. And if they don't, the results can be devastating. Tonight, Dr. Corbett explores just what that looks like. His message, my people have forgotten their fault. Jeremiah had prophesied the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. It was something, as we've just seen in that clip, which is described earlier in his book, something that we'll see in a moment. He was mocked, ridiculed and scorned for even suggesting that this would happen, that God would do it. So Jeremiah, as we can see, was imprisoned there and has been released. And this is on the heels of his appeal over decades for the leaders, in particular the leaders of Jerusalem, to listen to the word of the Lord for their own benefit and for the welfare of those that they were leading. And he pleaded with them for decades now. And as we're looking in chapter 50, Jeremiah is now close to 70 years of age. He served God faithfully for decades and everything that he said would happen and perhaps hoped wouldn't happen has indeed happened now. But as we see from that clip, at the time of Jerusalem's destruction, Jeremiah was imprisoned for disheartening the people. And so his message wasn't received at all. In fact, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was despised and treated cruelly, being thrown in prison and at one point being tied by a rope and suspended in what we would call a latrine, a pit where he was left there. That's pretty cruel treatment and that's what he endured. Essentially he warned them about three things and these three things should not have been a surprise to any of them and intuitively and I'm incredibly aware that we have more intuitive knowledge than we realise and so does a lot of creatures in creation, they have intuitive knowledge. It's amazing if you go up to the Trevallon Dam and you see the pipe that's been put in for the, for the elver that come from, is it the, the Fijian Islands, Marty? Is that where the, the eels come from? Do you know? Don't know? You, you, this was your moment to shine, Marty. <laughs> I think they come from somewhere in the South Pacific, somewhere like Fiji or something, and they know where the Trevallon Dam is. How do they do that? It's, and, and people could say, oh, well, it's encoded in their DNA. Right. And how did it get there? And this is the thing. We, there are certain things. So when, when I mention these three things to you that Jeremiah warned, they, it's not like he was telling them they had to do these really, really difficult things. It wasn't. The three things that for our purposes start with I, we can categorise them as uh, idolatry, immorality and ignoring God's word. And for these things, they paid a high price and they mocked him, they ridiculed him and they treated him cruelly. And as I've said, when we started this series, we're going to see parallels between Jeremiah's life and ministry and Jesus Christ, because this is exactly what Jesus came and said as well. Jesus spoke about these three things, idolatry, 
immorality and ignoring God's word. And this is how Jesus was treated by the descendants of those who mistreated Jeremiah. So Jesus endured these same things from people when he raised these issues. So these are big deal. Jesus thought it was a big deal. Worship is due to God only. Our, I heard Ravi Zacharias make a profound point, and it was God has made this world so that nearly everything in it has a purpose. And when things don't fulfill their purpose, they are often tools of evil. It's a profound point because he said, you take a motor car, it has a purpose for getting passengers safely somewhere without hurting anyone else. But when that same car, designed for that purpose, is used as it was just a few weeks ago to mow people down in the form of a truck in Nice, in Paris, it's a tool of evil. And Ravi Zacharias makes the point, our bodies are designed with a purpose. And when people take this and use it for something that can only bring harm both to themselves and to others, and he was thinking of all kinds of sexual misconduct, it's evil. Purpose. So when we talk about immorality, we're not talking about people having certain privileges taken away from them. We're talking about people's welfare. And of course, ignoring God's word. The the problem is when Jeremiah's prophecies began to be fulfilled, it was too late. And as it is often, it was too late for those who were most vulnerable. And this is what we're going to see in a moment. God calls the people who became not quite innocent victims, but they were victims of leadership misconduct. He says of the, the people that they're sheep. They're like lost Sheep. They've been led astray and they're like lost sheep. And oftentimes when a leader, and I'm going to identify about six different types of leaders that Jeremiah spoke about and spoke to, and there's some parallels for us today, that when by what they teach and how they live, and this is why we said to Sean, it's not just what you teach, it is how you live that conveys whether God is really worth our whole life. And so it was too late for them. And who did Jeremiah say was most responsible? It's not so much Jeremiah. It's God speaking through Jeremiah. He said it was leaders who were most responsible. I mentioned six categories of leaders that he had something to say, something to. These, we might start with parents because scripture starts with parents. Adam and Eve were charged with a responsibility of leadership. And leadership, John Maxwell says, is essentially positive influence, influencing someone positively. And parents are perhaps the first port of call for people to be influenced by a leader. The next one is friends. Friends play a huge role. Both of these foundational leadership influences on our lives are meant to be done in the environment of love. And degrees of love. I mean, friendship is a degree of love, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like that like kind of love. And I, I heard someone say that Bertrand Russell, who was an, an atheist who was very anti-Christian and, and died a few decades ago, but, but he said this, I do not believe there is a God. And then 
he followed up and he said this almost like he was hoping people could see the connection. And I have never known love. You just think, Bertrand Russell, why, why didn't you join the dots? You remove God from your heart, your equation, and you don't know love. Isn't there a connection? And these two parents and friends are meant to be done in an environment of love and care. And the next category of leadership, perhaps are teachers. And back in the day of Jeremiah, this may have been something that, that the elite experienced. Not everybody would have had the privilege of having a teacher. But these, even the teachers were corrupted. And then, of course, there were the priests. And Jeremiah had a lot to say. Because even if parents fail, even if friends fail, even if teachers fail, at least there's priests. And today's equivalent, I'm guessing, is ministers of God's word, pastors. And so in Jeremiah's day, these people had failed to do the will of God. And then there were those in government. In Jeremiah's day, it wasn't a democracy. It wasn't like people were elected. You were born into it and you were the princes of the king. You were the sons of the king. And you were responsible usually for some facet of government. And these people were corrupt. These people had let God down. These people had not looked after the welfare of others. And then finally there was the king. And as we saw in that clip, the king was someone who was responsible, ultimately responsible to lead people in the ways, word and will of God. And he hadn't done it. And as Norm said over our offering this morning, that when a society neglects and rejects God's word, we end up with, as one French philosopher said, every people gets the government they deserve. And I, gee, I hope that's not true. But the problem is when it's all about me, we will vote for the person who says it's all about me. And we will end up in a mess because life is not all about me and neither should government be about me. It should be about us. And Jeremiah has something to say to these people and he uses this word and I think it's a beautiful word. It's not a word that we often think of today in terms of parents or friends or even politicians. It's a beautiful word, though. It's the word shepherd. It's hard to read John chapter 10 where Jesus talks about the difference between someone who really genuinely cares for people. And he calls that person the good shepherd. And really, he's presenting himself. I am the good shepherd. And he contrasts that, the good shepherd, with the hireling. The one who looks like a shepherd, he does what shepherds do, except when it gets hard. And when it gets hard and when there's pressure, when there's trouble, he flees. Can I remind you that it's not just about pastors, it's also about fathers, friends. And there will be times in a relationship with a friend where it gets hard. Are you going to be a shepherd or are you going to be a hireling? And of course it applies to pastors in a church and Sean I know is prepared to pay that price today, but there will be times when it gets really, really difficult and a good shepherd stays with the sheep. In two weeks, Kim and I celebrate our 21st year here. where we 21 years ago, I was inducted as pastor of this church. Hopefully by now you have figured out I'm here to stay. And it's, it's, it's with that privilege of trust between pastor and people, that I think we can be most effective. So let's have a look at verse 6 of chapter 50. My people have been lost 
Sheep. What do we know about sheep? What's the first thing we know about sheep? They're what? They're lovely. Oh, woolly. They're woolly. Okay. What else do we know about sheep? They're scared. What else do we know about sheep? They're dumb. See, I reckon that was the first thing that came into many people's heads, but they didn't want to say it because the Bible calls us sheep. <laughs> and we are, where we live, we are surrounded by sheep. In fact, last night, <clears throat> Kim said to me, just have a listen, have a listen. Because uh, some sheep are still lambing. And she said, is, is, that a, is that a baby lamb you can hear? I, I put my head out the window and I... I couldn't hear a thing. And she said, no, no, have a close listen. I'm having a close listen. I can't hear any baby lambs. But the, 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 it was interesting that it sounded like either a newborn lamb or a, a recently born lamb was in distress. And the heart of my wife said, oh, I want to just pick it up and cuddle it and, and look after it. And, and her husband just so didn't. And, and just sheep have this capacity because they're woolly. Because they're woolly, they'll be fine. Just leave them alone. They came with their own sheepskin rug, they'll be fine. And it's interesting as we walk up, you know, uh, Ruby up to the bus stop, we'll see the sheep there and, 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 and they'll look up at us and they, are, they truly are dumb. They just look up and they just look and just keep going, you know. And then it only takes one sheep, one sheep to get scared. And that was another description that we heard of sheep, get scared. Boom, it's off. And next thing, these sheep were just, oh, uh, I suppose we better run. And off they go. It's the most amazing thing. And we have, as I said, surrounded by sheep, literally surrounded by sheep. And we, the, 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 the farmer, the, the, I don't suppose you call them a shepherd, but he can come in and he, he can just walk among them. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And the Bible calls us sheep. And here God says, my people have been lost Sheep, why? Well, there it is. There's the charge, as I've already hopefully you know, summarised, that the leaders have led them astray. Now, here's the odd expression which we'll unpack. Turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. Now, be, be easier to think, yeah, sheep aren't, sheep aren't supposed to go up mountains. Sheep are meant to be in valleys. That's where the grass is. Goats go up mountains. Sheep stay in valleys. And so you could think, well, yeah, that's odd that the shepherds have taken sheep where they don't belong. But what was it literally that was up the mountain? This is where idolatry took place. But not just idolatry, the worst kind of idolatry. This is where the people took their newborn babies and sacrificed them to idols of wood and stone on the mountains, on the hills. This is where in front of phallic symbols, sex with false idol prostitutes would take place for a price that would supposedly invoke the blessing of Baal to bring a fruitful harvest. So... Families are being destroyed. Families are being destroyed on these mountains and hills. Sheep aren't supposed to go up hills and mountains. They're meant to be in valleys, grazing under the protection of the eye of the shepherd. And, and when we think in physical terms, God 
had not intended his people to go from mountaintop to mountaintop to, the, to this idol, this phallic symbol, this monument to a false god. He'd meant them to continually come to this one place in Jerusalem called Mount Zion. And it was there that the temple, and we saw the temple destroyed, but it was there that God had given his people this place, this temple in Zion, to focus their worship on him. The point was never the temple. The point was supposed to be God. And when Solomon dedicated the temple to God, it was never meant to be about the temple. It was meant to be about the God to whom the temple is dedicated. As we talk about building an extension and doing what we can do to accommodate more people so that we can see more people come to know Christ, more lives put back together, more marriages saved, more families restored, you know it's not about the building. You know, whenever I say the word church, I don't think of building. I've never called this the church. I don't say I'm going to church. We are the church. The church comes to this building. Do you, do you see the difference? And so when, when we look at, well, what's the New Testament application of this idea that God under the old covenant had given them a temple and everything about the temple was meant to remind them of some aspect of God, starting with the tabernacle where there was, where there was four posts of the gate right at the start with, with all the different colours. It spoke of God's invitation to all the four corners of the earth to people, come to me. As we approach the, the, the next thing was the big barbecue, the, the altar of, of made covered in bronze where sacrifices happen. The first thing is you want to come to me, come, come. Now that you're in, surrender. Lay down your life as a living sacrifice. And then the next thing is you approach the very presence of God, the tent of meeting, the actual building of the, of the temple. There's a great big basin and it speaks. It, it, it's made of mirrors, bronze mirrors that were beaten, shiny. You could look into it, you could see it. And then it was filled with water. So you could look into this thing as if it was a mirror. You could see, you could take the water and you could wash yourself. And that is the word of God which says in James 1, this is the word of God which is like a mirror with which we wash ourselves. And so to come into the presence of God, everything was about telling people who God is and how he's approached. And in that place, only the priests could go. And then when Jesus died on that cross... It says that that veil that separated the priests from where he could go and where he couldn't go, only the high priest once a year could go beyond that curtain, was the holy of holy place. And when Jesus died, it says that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. In other words, who initiated the tearing of that thing down? God himself. And so the temple was always meant to be about God, not about the building. And in a similar way today, God has given his people, not the church, but the church gathering to focus our worship on him. And we need to appreciate that Hebrews 10, 24, 25 is not a mere suggestion. It's a command to God's people not to forsake the gathering together. The mountains and hills outside of Jerusalem were where the idolatrous immorality was being practised. And if they are the places where sheep are not meant to go, you know, today there are places where we as sheep are not meant to go. We are just not meant to go there. Why? 
Because these are places that are dedicated to forgetting and ignoring God. There are places where they would much rather you not think about God and therefore you probably should stay away from them. Now please don't mishear me. I know that God sends his people to be salt and light. He sent Daniel into Babylon and ultimately the emperor was converted. I know that God sends his people into universities where they are hostile to Christianity. And ultimately, people, university students and even lecturers, come to know Christ. I know that he uses his people as salt and light. But God has designed for his people a gathering of his people today. He refers to it. In fact, what we're going to see, the irony of it is in the next verse. It's not a prophet who declares this. It's the Babylonians whom Jeremiah quotes who declared this. He's going to say that God always wanted to be a habitation. What is a habitation? It's, it's the difference between house and home. Here we just stay. Here we habitate. Here, here, we, here we live. Here we, here, this is where we come in through the door and we take our shoes off because we're home. This is where we go around the house in clothes we'd never go around outside the house in. This is home. A habitation. What is a habitation? It's a place of rest. It's a place where you can relax and be yourself. And God said to his people, I am that for you. If, there's, if there is someone in the universe you can't fool, it's God. If there's someone in the universe, no mask will hide who you really are. It's God. And he was to be their habitation. And today, God has also provided the church as his sheepfold his people, the gathering of his church. And it's here that they rest. It's here in the sheepfold that they're protected. And it's here in the sheepfold that they are healed. Next verse, verse 7. And note who's actually talking. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, this is the Babylonians, we are not guilty. Your city being destroyed, not our fault. We just did what God told us to do. They said, for they, the people of Jerusalem, have sinned against the Lord. This is the Babylonians. Even the Babylonians knew that they were wicked, but the people of Jerusalem were off the charts wicked, pretending that God was in their corner, pretending that they were in his corner, and all the while carrying on in exactly the ways that God said not to. They go on and say, for they've sinned against the Lord. Their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Get that? Even the godless Babylonians recognised that the Jews had forsaken their rest, their true rest, their true protection, their true healing and their true hope. <laughs> even the godless Babylonians recognised Man, you guys were much better off when you just served the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't you blame us for this. This is your fault. You brought this on yourself. And that's what the law in the covenant said in Deuteronomy 26 and 27. If you forsake God, God will forsake you. If you say, as 
Again, Ravi Zachariah says, if someone says to God, I no longer want to serve or follow you, oftentimes God will second that motion. So this is what happened. Sometimes the very things which only God can supply are the things we long for the most. And I think of that Bertrand Russell comment, I have never known love. The things you long for most. Sometimes these things God offers and we refuse them. We refuse them from him. We refuse to take what he's offering. And yet we still cry for it. We think we can find love in a bed. We think we can find love on the internet. We think we can find rest in a tablet. We think we can find a joy in a needle. Hmm. But we can't. And what do we all desperately need? We need love, acceptance and forgiveness. And it can only be found in Christ. It can only be found in Christ. And so as we look at these, just these two verses, I, I'm, I marvel at the fact that here it's addressing shepherds and here we are, September 11, and we have inducted, uh, commissioned, uh, narrator as a chaplain, that's a form of shepherding. We've commissioned Sean as a pastor, that's a form of shepherding. You know, And this message was due to be preached on the calendar. We had this out like a year and a half ago for this day. And here we are talking about what it means to be a shepherd and the responsibility of a shepherd on the day when we have inducted these people. And, if you th- and there's reasons why we had, we've done it today, which will become clear down the track. But I, just see, I said to Kim, I said, this is amazing. It's almost like God is just in this. And so what do we do? If you're a parent, you're a shepherd. If you're a friend, you're a shepherd. If you're a pastor, you're a shepherd. If you're in any form of leadership, you're a shepherd. Take it seriously. But here's the thing, as we mentioned with Sean, you're not singly yoked. It's not you just trying to pull this cart. God is in the yoke right beside you. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. Matthew 11. And so today... Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you think is too far beyond you, God says, you are my sheep. Come into the fold. I'll give you rest. I'll give you nourishment. I'll give you refreshing. I'll give you protection and healing. That's what he's offering. Why would we refuse that? Why would we refuse that? So let's pray. Father, as a church, I pray that we will be a safe Sheepfold, but not just a safe sheepfold. A sheepfold, Lord, where lost sheep can come in. Where, Father, we don't, as Jeff said over communion, throw stones at them. But, Lord, we open up the gate and say, welcome home. Welcome back. It's great to have you here today. It's great to have you back. Come and be restored. Be refreshed. Be replenished. Be nourished in this protective environment. We want to care for you and love you. We want to see the shepherd, the great shepherd, has he have his way in your life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, perhaps you're here today and you know that you've been as if a million miles from him. You've been running from him. Perhaps you've been pretending to be a follower of Christ and you know in your heart you've never really surrendered to him. 
Now's your moment. Can I pray for you? Can I lead you in a prayer? If this is you now, will you pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus? Will you let this be the first day of the rest of your life with Jesus? Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want that unbearable load that you're carrying now of guilt and shame taken in a moment? Then turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You can do it right now. His eyes are upon you. A simple prayer from your heart, something like, Jesus, I do come to you. I turn to you now. Please forgive me. Please accept me. I want to follow you all the days of my life, but I don't know if I can do it on my own. Please help me to do it. Give me the strength to live as I should. I ask this. And because you said to pray in your name, I'm asking in your name. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we will be a safe, protective, healing, restful, nourishing sheepfold where people can come in and find healing and rest for their souls. Father, help us who are shepherds, pastors, fathers, elders, home group leaders to shepherd people well, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... In the same way that the temple in Zion served as a focus for worship, so too the church gathering today helps us focus for worship and there can be found rest. More from Dr Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, My People Have Forgotten Their Fold, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.